0: So we've been in this series, um, it's an incredible series about just uh, what what we sometimes, some of these conclusions that we can jump to uh, that God says and God didn't say it. This probably won't surprise you but I like to listen to sermons, I like to read sermons and I need that in my life. And this past week John turned me on to one sermon that was offered by Craig Groeschel of Life Church and honestly it was powerful so John and I were like, let's just take that outline that he has and let's just use it for ourselves. And so we can't do any better, so we were like, let's just put it out there for food for us all. So today we're probably going to look at the number one most quoted Bible verse by people who are not Christians. And it's Matthew 7, 1 through 2. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Nobody says it that way, right? <laughs> like I just said it. To get this one right, you need to say it with an air of attitude mixed with a little King James. Judge not, lest you be judged, is the way you need to say it. In other words... You have no right to tell me how to live. I'll do what I want to do in my life. You do what you want to do in your life. You're a sinner too. It doesn't matter what I do as long as it makes me happy. As long as it doesn't hurt anybody, it's okay. Judge not, lest ye be judged. Friends, this is one of the most uh, pervasive values in culture today tolerate every kind of behavior because you have uh, no right to say that something is right or wrong do not judge or you will be judged it stinks to be judged doesn't it there's nothing there's nothing really wonderful about that is there how many of you have ever been judged wrongly right wrongly early in 2019 faith and friends on tap was really doing well and uh, especially at Little Miami Brewery. If you don't know it, I, I'm like the food truck for the, for the church. I take, I take church services outside the church. And so we were meeting at Little Miami Brewing Company in 2019. And it started the word started to spread among other churches in the area. This led to me receiving a signed letter from a person from another church in the Milford area. The letter stated... Having church in a brewery is wrong. People should not be drinking and worshiping God. And then he wrote, "No doubt, many loyal Christians would lunge at the opportunity to hang out at the local brewery and profess that they were at church. How far will we go?" End of quote. Here was my response, and his name was Marvin. No, no last name. I said, "Hi, Marvin. I value your response." This weekend, Little Miami Brewing Company, at our service, Faith and Friends on Tap, we had 102 people. All in attendance, and this was the day before Easter, all in attendance heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and about his resurrection. A conservative estimate, Marvin, was about 80% of the people in attendance did not have a church. How far will I go, Marvin? I'll go anywhere to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. I would encourage you to attend Faith and Friends on Tap. You can call me anytime if you'd like more information and testimonies from the life-changing ministry of our Fresh Expressions of Anderson Hills Church. I gave him the church office number. (laughs) (laughs) You see, this guy, he was making assumptions. He had no idea... Faith and what Faith and Friends on Tap was, is. He thought we were just hanging around, drinking, (laughs) and having a good time. We worship God. I preach. We have music, Christian music, and people stay after for fellowship and, and food and beverages, of course. It does feel horrible to be judged, doesn't it? Maybe the reason is that people say these words with a little attitude because the issue of judgment is the number one thing that drives non-Christians away from Christianity. You don't have to look too deep into the past and current Christian behavior to find people who come across as judgmental or or narrow-minded or mean or hypocritical. Jesus said, "Do not judge, or you too will be judged." Is that exactly what he means? It seems problematic, doesn't it? Because it's, if it's that true, no teacher has the has right to judge an essay that somebody has read or written. What if to say you say, "I deserve an A?" And the teacher's like, "No, Jonathan, you deserve a D, buddy." If we take it at face value, then no one uh, can be on a jury to judge right or wrong or hold someone accountable for a crime. Who are you to say that I'm innocent or guilty? Or does a police officer have a right to give me a speeding ticket? Who are you to judge me, officer? I identify as a fast driver. I love doing 95s in 65. It's just who I am. Don't be a hater to me. I think we would probably agree that at some level, we're allowed to judge. I'll ask you some questions, and you give me thumbs up or thumbs down. This is audience participation. Do you have the right to judge someone's funny haircut? <laughs> okay, good, good. If you're sitting next to them, just keep your eyes forward. <laughs> so, <laughs> pretend like you uh, don't know what we're talking about. But what if it's your kid's haircut and they want to get a bad word shaved into the sideburns? Do you have a right to judge that? Oh, yeah. What if some random guy at work is married and he's really flirty and you don't know him? Do you have a right to speak into his life and say, hey, bro, you're married? Hmm? Okay. Do you have a right to do that or not? What if it's your best friend? What if it's a guy in your Bible study or life group, and he's a Christian, and he's married, and he's really flirty? Do you have a right to speak into his life? Or are you to never judge him? I say speak into his life. Let's try this. What if two unmarried people are living together, and our culture says you can't uh, judge someone's sexual life? What if someone wants to sleep with a person that's underage? Do you have a right to speak into that? What if it's your daughter? It's 12. Personally, I'm really getting judgmental on that one, my friends. Do you see? Do you see how complicated yet incredibly important that we get this right? Do not judge, or you too will be judged. What exactly does that mean? Do we ever have to. to to have the right call on someone to say it's wrong behavior? Whenever you need to read anything, you have to understand the context, especially in the Bible. For, for example, if you're, uh, you're, if you're driving, let's just say you've got to understand the context of this, and you see a red shi- sign that says stop. You're going to stop, but then you're going to go, right? But the sign says, still says stop. We just don't stay at stop signs, do we? <laughs> Why are you going to do that? Well, you know you know the rules of the road. That's the context for that sign. What if a police officer sees you walking out of the restaurant that you're going to go to right after you leave this service and yells, stop. You're going to stop. But then what if you take off running? You're going to be on the next episode of Cops <laughs> soon. You interpret the same word differently because the context is different, isn't it? Otherwise, you come to a false conclusion. So what's the context of Jesus' word here? In the chapter before, he's really picking on some hypocrisy. He's judging hypocrisy. Jesus was letting the Pharisees have it for showing off the way they pray in public, the way they fast, and the way they give. And he was calling them out. Then in the beginning of Matthew 7, Jesus says, do not judge. A few verses later, he says in Matthew 7, uh, 15 and 16a, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify with them by their fruit, he says. That is why, uh, by the way they act. Wait, I'm not allowed to judge. But if I'm going to deem someone a false prophet... What do I have to make a judgment on that that person's not from God in that very same chapter Jesus says do not judge but he actually implies you're gonna have to make a judgment is that what he was really saying friends I do not believe that Jesus is telling us we should live without discernment he's not telling us that we never have the right to speak into the lives of other believers He's telling us that we should be very, very, very careful not to judge hypocritically. Matthew 7, 1 through 5, let's look at it. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite! First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. The big theme in his, this teaching is hypocrisy than it is judgment. He says, you hypocrite, you know, come here, come here, Jennifer, you hypocrite. Come here, Jennifer, I want to take that speck out of your eye. I want to take, let me get the speck out of your eye. Hold hold still, wait a minute. Now I'll take the speck out of your eye. See, it's me. I got to look at. You see, we have to take that speck out first. We have to look at our own lives. In other words, don't pick people apart when you've got your own problems. Look in the mirror first. Don't pick apart others people's little faults when you've got some big issues in your own life. Deal with that with God's healing and transformation. Let's look at other verses and talk about this very important issue of judging. I want to look at four different things that the Bible clearly says about judging. First, what is clear about Judging. First is never judge superficially. Jesus said in John 7, 24, look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. Jesus says there's, there's a time to judge, and when you do judge, get the facts right. Gather all the information first. Don't be quick to make a judgment. It's been said, you know it's been said, you can't judge a book by its cover. You've got to read the contents in it. I think that's what Marvin did when he judged Faith and Friends on tap. He just heard brewery and church, and he went, bam, and put them together and judged me and the ministry, ministry that I'm entrusted with. Now, secondly, never judge hypocritically. In Romans 1, Paul calls out sinners, and the list is huge. And it would have been easy for people in the church to say, God really showed them, didn't he? But look at what he says in the next verse. Romans 2, 1. You may think that you can condemn such people, but you're just as bad if you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. Don't be hypocritical in your judgment. There's nothing worse than someone yelling at someone for doing the exact same thing that they are doing. Then in verse 4, Paul's tone completely changes. And I love the grace and the passion and the intensity found in Paul's words. Look at it. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? In other words, God's been gracious to you, been tender to you, and God's waiting on you to change. You see, the problem is that we tend to accuse others and excuse ourselves. We judge others for what they do, but we judge ourselves based on our intentions. Sure, I had uh, I had three desserts after dinner yesterday. And I'm going to take a walk in a couple days here. And I'm planning for, to go for that walk and that run to run those desserts off. But did you see Sally at the Christmas buffet loading up her plate? Oh my goodness. Come on, man. <laughs> you see, here's the deal. Your harshest judgments often reveal your deepest weaknesses. If that didn't hurt, let me say it again. The place where you issue your harshest judgment... Often reveals your deepest weakness. It's so true. Whenever I find myself quick to judge, it's often an, imbica- in, an indication that I need to look in the mirror because it's probably a reflection of some kind of sinfulness in my own heart. Let that sink in. When you judge others, you're actually fact condemning yourself. The third thing is never hold the world to Christian standards. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5.12. He said, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. In other words, if they aren't following Jesus, why would you expect them to live like followers of Jesus? In the next verse, he says, God will judge people outside the church. It's not that they lack accountability, but God hasn't put you and me here to try to hold them to Christian standards. Our job is to invite them to know Jesus so that they can be a part of the family of faith. And we're responsible to hold each other accountable, though, as brothers and sisters at Christ. You know, at my house, my kids followed family rules. And they followed those rules, and they had standards and expectations for them. But do we hold... uh, Uh, our kids rules to another family's rules or their kids to my family's rules if someone's outside the family of god we don't hold uh, them accountable to christian family rules it's not our place to judge and this is probably the number one reason i think why so many non-christians run away from the church or perhaps even god because judgmentalism and hypocrisy of christian belief Christ have mercy on us, right? We've got to get this right. When Jesus said, do not judge others or you too will be judged, he's not telling us that we don't have the right to speak into other Christians' lives. In fact, there's a time when we're we're supposed to, and that leads to our fourth thing. Always help restore a fallen believer. Why? Because this might be you someday or me someday. None of us get it right all the time, you know? In the family of God, when someone strays, other family members should come and say, we love you too much to let you go down that road, my friend. Let's get you back on the path of righteousness and holy living. And we all need to be willing to give and to receive that correction from each other. It's a standard in our faith together. Look at Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. Paul was talking about uh, the inside church family here, things about how and on how he addresses them. Look, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back on the right path. And be careful not to fall in the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens, and this is the way. Obey to obey the law of Christ. You see, there's so much power packed in these two verses. First, he calls it sin. That took a level of of judgment and discernment to identify that it was a sin. And it's okay to say that. Secondly, godly people are, are supposed to help each other with restoration. Not hypocrites, but godly people. Third, never be so arrogant to think that you cannot fall someday. Finally, I love the image that Paul writes about sharing each other's burdens. Do you share your burdens with another brother or sister in Christ? Not condemnation, but just sharing your burdens so that they can lift you up and help speak into your life and help you with the load. You see, we aren't meant to carry it alone. So how do we do this? We follow Jesus' example Like in John 1.14, it says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the balance of grace and truth. That's why it's so important. When there's all truth and no grace, it drives people away. But when it's all grace and no truth, people behave any way they want to. And we have to get, we'll get so much deeper in that in the next series. You know, in 1996, uh, I, was at, I was at Mount Orb, I was at Greenbush United Methodist Church, or Union Plains United Methodist Church. And a large group of the guys from Mount Orb, we, we were with the Wesley Church, and we were with uh, some of the folks at, uh, at uh, Union Plains United Methodist Church. Pastor. Uh, Pastor Ted and his his guys, we all rented uh, fifteen passenger vans, and I'll, there was like 20, 20 of us that went down to Nashville to uh, the Titan Stadium down there, and uh, or it was one of the stadiums. Anyway, I don't know where it was, but we we went to a Promise Keeper event, and it was packed. And we got together as brothers and we made these, these promises to live a certain way and the promise to meet together as brothers in Christ and to, to share our souls, to share our burdens with each other. And we began to meet and we met for like over a year. And all of a sudden, one of the guys in our group of five men, he just stopped coming. And we tried to call, this is way before cell phones, we tried to call him and Never answered the phone. Finally, we got a hold of his wife. And we said, what's going on with him? What's going on here? He's, he's not showing up. And we made these promises together. Well, she shared with us that he was having an affair. And she had caught him. We, went, we got together and we met the four of us. And we prayed, what should we do? What should we do with our brother? So one day, we, after he probably got home from work, we just drove right over, all four of us. We knocked on his door. He knew why we were there. He let us in. We showed him grace. We showed him truth, though. And right there, he repented. He came back to God. I helped him. And the other Wesleyan pastor, Ted, helped him to get into some good marriage counseling so that he could have his marriage healed. You see, this is how we do it in the family of God, my friends. We don't pretend like it didn't happen. We love them back in the fellowship. They experience the restoration when they're caught in that sin, and we call it sin. And it may not be popular in the world today, but that's what we call it. We don't kick the person down. Guess what? We sin too, don't we? We all have fallen short of the glory of God. In light of all of this, what should we do? As sinners, we need a Savior. We need to accept... Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior together. He died for our sins so that he could have lordship over our lives and help us with the judgments that we make in this time in the world and give our lives completely so that we can have opportunities to be Christ to someone else and have them experience the transforming ministry of the Holy Spirit. And thanks be to God, we have the Holy Spirit who gives us wisdom and encouragement, and discernment. And may God give us grace as we walk in this life together, making judgment calls, and helping others live like Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us and lead us and guide us as we make judgments in this world, in this living, on this human journey. God, we thank you for your grace as it, as it speaks truth to us, both grace and truth together. And we, we, we thank you that we can live in that together and balance that, Lord. We thank you for your words, Jesus, that you help us put it into context. And may we not live in hypocrisy. But may we be ones who are holy like you are holy. We need your help, God. Help us this day. And in the days ahead, we thank you and we praise you. And we pray all of this in the name of the one who is all about grace and truth, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.